Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Yo, yo, what's going on, everybody? Hope you are having a good week so far. Just a quick one before we get on to the podcast. If you're on Spotify, I would love it if you would go and follow my record box, uh, which is my Spotify playlist. It's called Will Clark's Record Box. Um, I update it every week with about 50 new records. Anyway, podcast time and my good homie, The Basque, who is DJ producer from Vienna. Uh, I got talking to Debesk um, probably about a year and a half ago. We kind of both released records on Needed Pains, which is how we, we kind of got talking to each other. I l- absolutely love his records and I love him as a human being. He's such a nice guy. Um, this was a really good podcast. It was, uh, yeah, it was just very honest and very real. Um, so without further ado, Debesk. And we're live. Dude, okay, this is really bad. How is it Debesk? Uh actually I don't know. Um <laughs> no, you know, you know, like the the like the music style, it, it's dub, right? Okay. So and the I was thinking about a, a moniker for this project for ages. And I came up with Dubesk because it's kind of a mixture of the style dub, because you know, bass heavy, yeah. you know, like and ask comes from arabesque which basically means that uh that a piece of music is you can interpret it in any form whatsoever you know like free in interpretation okay so that's how it came together so i mean actually i don't care if people say dubesque or dubesque you know whatever feels more natural to you i like that man i love the fact that you don't actually know what your name really means as well or how it's actually pronounced but i like that in, in Austria, in Austria, people say Dubesk. So in the UK and in the US, people say Dubesk. And yeah. you can call me Philip, you know. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Philip? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, how's life, man? So I, I actually saw you. You flew to yeah. the UK from, you're from Vienna. Yes. Um, and I actually saw you with Alex from Densapika um, right. the other day and your lovely wife. Um, how, how's life? it's everything's you know it's like in the middle of this pandemic that's actually now going on for eight months or something yeah it's always hard to i've been saying this in interviews it's always hard to to say that you're fine with it because it comes from a very privileged of course yeah yeah and living and i'm very aware of that and i'm very very happy to say that we didn't struggle that bad when it comes to like mental stuff or financial yeah. issues and stuff. So, you know, so basically I was 
uh, I found myself in a very lucky position to enjoy the slowing down of life yeah. and you know to be able to take a step back and maybe like reorder priorities and think yeah. about what's really important. So um, that being said, um, it wasn't the worst summer, but still obviously, you know, missing parties a lot, missing hanging out with friends without having to um, uh, keep curfews in mind. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I think like, like, you know, my wife and I, we have a six and a half year old daughter and it was probably the hardest for her because she wasn't allowed to hang out with her friends as she's used to. And, you know, so it was, there were ups and downs, but generally speaking, everything's all right. Yeah. And um very much looking forward for this year to end and to get back to normal as far as possible. Soon. Yeah, it must be it must be weird being a being a child um, during this time because yes, all absolutely. you want to do when you're a kid is just hang out with your mates. Like right. as adults, we kind of you kind of learn to have time by yourself and learn to like just yeah, just be alone if you know what I mean and accept to be yeah. alone. And I think when you're a kid, all you want to do is just play with your mates, and, right, you, exactly. and none of them can. Yeah, and but you know, it's it's not about about the kids, it's it's more about the parents because you know mm. we have friends who are taking the COVID situation as seriously as we do, but without panicking or without yeah. <clears throat> without expecting to die as soon as you shake somebody's hands or yeah, something. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's always it's always important to to put things in perspective somehow. Totally. So there have been friends of ours who had no problem with our kids hanging out together. Yeah. yeah Otherwise, yeah. just coming in. Hi. What's up, Gabby? <laughs> and um, and but there's also been people who are who didn't even want to be in the same, same like route. street, yeah, yeah. same time. You know, it, it's yeah. You got to put things in perspective, and uh, I think that if you if you let common sense take over from time to time, yeah, you will figure out it's not that bad actually. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I guess also I haven't thought about this, but with the with the kids thing, like kids have to be kids, right? They still have to like, and I think a lot of kids. Have just, I was talking to one of my friends the other day. He's he's American, and he's got like a fifteen year old boy, and it was like he's like, oh, my son has been around his adults having conversations. Like, no, there's like that they've not been able to be kids and enjoy right. kid life, if you know what I mean, because... You know, that's one of the good things about what I love about living in Vienna. Um, Vienna is the, the, the only really major city in Austria. So whatever happens in Austria basically happens in Vienna first. Yeah. Can, I don't want to offend anybody from the countryside, but that's basically... <laughs> um, but uh, so it, it's a huge city, but it's still small enough to get into the car yeah. and within 15 minutes you're outside of Vienna in the middle of the forest in the middle of the countryside actually yeah. so while the first lockdown took place um, after a couple of days or every couple of days we figured okay we need to take the little one to the, out to the fresh air we got to let her get rid of the energy and yeah, yeah. you know there's nothing better for a kid then than just putting some dirty clothes on and just yeah. spend the whole afternoon somewhere in the woods i'm in the forest and you know kind of an it's kind of an adventure thing especially if you if you're a kid wake uh, growing up in the city so you know you have to like you said you have to have they have to let kids be kids and give them the opportunity to go a little crazy every once in a while otherwise the energy level is unreal in the evening and you won't even get them to bed on a proper time so totally man i i, I don't know about you but <clears throat> i grew up in in the countryside pretty much and the closest city to me is Bristol, but I never was kind of brought up in the city. And some of my fondest memories is like 
going away camping with my family or literally like every every weekend just going in the woods and just chilling out and kind of making campfires and things like that. And I think it's so important kind of growing up to like experience those things. Absolutely. And that's one of, again, one of the good things about Vienna. You know, if you live in New York or in, you know, even London, yeah, surrounded by concrete and, and wherever you look, everything is man-made. Yeah. You know, there's, it's hard to get a view of actually just nature itself. And I also grew up in the countryside. And the good thing about Vienna is, again, Vienna is big enough to be anonymous if you feel like being by yourself. Yeah. But you're going out but without meeting people you know. But it's in the same time, it's small enough to to just go to places where you know you will eventually meet your friends without necessarily have to call them up and say, hey, do you want to meet up? So, like, you know, that combination makes it the perfect city for us to live in and also to raise our kid. What, did you so, grow up in Vienna? No, I grew up on the, like, I was born in Innsbruck, which is the very western part of Austria. Okay. And when my parents divorced. I, I moved to my stepfather with my mom, who lived in the very southern part of Germany, yeah. in the middle of nowhere. It's basically, it's not even in the middle of nowhere, it's in the shadow <laughs> of, it's, I don't know how to put that German saying in English, but it's, it's like, it's in the middle of nowhere, of the middle of nowhere. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but you, know, but, you know, as a kid growing up until they turned 12 or 13, it was the perfect place to be. But then yeah. once puberty kicks in and the interest starts to shift from building tree houses to more impressing girls or something. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, <laughs> the side is, no. You know. There's no girls around your area. And yeah, I feel you. I yeah, feel you. Yeah, but, and, and if you would meet all of them within no time. So yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, but it was, it was wonderful. And I still enjoy being there. But in the same time, after being at my mom's house for a couple of days straight, I miss the, you know, it's small things that I miss. For instance, I, the last time we've been at my mom's house, I said, let's go have dinner. Yeah. And then at some point they were like, okay, we got to go now because the last taxi is leaving now. And it was like, man, it's 6 p.m. <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? Or, you know, Sunday evenings, like let's order Chinese food. Like there's no Chinese restaurant in an area of 50 kilos. You know, yeah. it, it, you know, it's not, you don't need it, but it's, if you're used to it, it's just fine to have the opportunity to. It's, you know. it's, it's funny because it's the same for when I come back to the UK, um, like, being in in the US and kind of being in a different city every kind of day or week if you know what I mean you're kind of lucky that you have the city privileges and then I come back here and it's like okay I've got to drive miles to get anywhere um, yeah. you don't get and like food isn't delivered at all um yeah. and yeah like there's restaurants aren't open every day if you know what I mean it's kind of like you got to, but you've still got to drive to get get to them but I love it as well. There's something something nice that you can like go to the local village and it's that community, I think, that I think cities really lack where you can you can walk down the street and know like 10, 20 people. But Vienna's pretty small, right? Yeah, you know, I mean it's one point eight million people live in live in Vienna. Yeah. So it's it's a big city, but it's not yeah. like like London or Berlin or New York or, you know, yeah, it's yeah. A, not on that scale. But, uh, you know, but I think it also depends on, like, if you take a look at the whole lifespan, once you grow, once you were born and you live in the countryside, you don't really know what's out there. Yeah. And then once if you're in school, in high school, you may take excursions to other cities. Like we've been in Berlin, we've been in Paris, and all yeah. of a sudden you get a glimpse of, oh man, there's much more going on. Then puberty kicks in and you just want to leave it. Yeah. And then... Once I mean I, I just turned thirty seven, 
And I've been living in the middle of downtown Vienna ever since I moved to Vienna. But now I'm slowly thinking about moving maybe, you know, <laughs> a little outside of the city. You know, like it's... You know. It's so funny, isn't it? Like everyone, as soon as everyone gets a bit older, they're like, yeah, I yeah. need to get out. You know, still enjoy the noise of a city and totally. being able to go places like, I don't know, you know, nice hotels, Soho House, club nights, whatever. But um, not on a daily basis anymore. No, I think it's some, there's something amazing by stepping out of your door and just having like fresh air and right. no neighbors and not have to worry about anything. You can just walk in the fields and it's something yeah. beautiful about that. But then there's also the complete opposite to that. I love waking up in New York City and just walking, walking down Midtown and just enjoying it and just watching people and kind of just being part of the hustle and bustle of like a city is something about that it just is... yeah, especially if, you, if you're creative in any sense um, yeah. i mean i started djing when i was when i was 14 and uh there was no record shop no in the countryside so so even to get to the next record shop in in a place called ulm which was like 60 kilometers away i had to spend money on the train and the yeah. bus to actually go there and so there was no inspiration, nothing. There wasn't the internet. There was no YouTube. There was no podcast. There was nothing. Yeah. So it's really, it got frustrating at, the, at, at a point. So especially as a creative, um, now living in the city and going back to the countryside can be as inspiring as it was to go into a city back then when I used to live in the countryside. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's it, yeah. It's, I think, I think it's that this sounds, it's not probably the best analogy to say, but it's like the grass is always greener when but in in a positive way not in a way that is is negative jesus christ i don't know if you can hear that but it's raining outside and it is fucking <laughs> hammering down <laughs> um how did you start so like growing up in the sticks like how did you start getting into dj and music was it like a upbringing or or what it was pure it was like actually actually it was my grandmom okay. <laughs> so i started playing piano when i was six uh like my mom told me that i came up to her one day and said i want to learn how to play the piano i was six i don't really remember like the intention yeah. but i was six back then and i was pretty good in it so when i was when i turned 10 between 10 and 13 i played i actually played piano concerts yeah on a, on a small not like lang lang but on a small scale on the countryside and I always enjoyed to be on stage and play music and entertain people with music. But it was at some point I felt it kind of boring because the, the average age of my audience was some 50 something. And, you know, they were listening for an hour and then it was like. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I was, when I was uh, 13 and a half, actually my mom and uh, my grandmom took me on a cruise, on a crusade ship through the Mediterranean Sea. And, and you know, on this big ass ship, you couldn't get lost. So that was the first time I had kind of, uh, I could, my, my grandmother, she allowed me to just, you know, meet like like people in my age and just yeah. hang out. And there was, of course, of course, a club, like a disco, yeah, like super commercial music. But it was the first time I actually saw a, like a real DJ do a yeah. thing. I figured, okay, man, wait a minute. He's doing the same thing that I do. He's entertaining people with music, but but it looks so much more fun what he does because you know, he always had friends and girls and the music was loud and drinks and the records and scratching and it was just like, and he also got that immediate response from what he was doing yeah. from the audience. So he, he just did a little scratching and cut the new hit record in and everybody was going nuts. So that was kind of an eye-opening experience. I didn't like the music though, but the technique and the just the idea yeah. 
I like very much. So I came back home from the trip and told my mom, uh, I want to be a DJ. And I was very lucky that my mom was always very supportive of any crazy plans I had. So a couple of months later, when I turned 14 as a birthday present, she gave me two third numbers in the mixer. And oh, no there, way. Was, there was the the start of my bedroom career. And But like I said before, there was no YouTube tutorials. Nobody on the countryside was a DJ. Nobody would show me how to beat match or how to scratch. So it was kind of a self-taught situation. And there was also the time when I started to, and every school vacation that I had, I, w- I was looking for work and I had the nastiest jobs, but it was paid and I could go to this particular record shop, what it was called Record Express in Ulm back then. And yeah, and that was the beginning. And and uh, it was just, it, it was amazing. You know, I would always, always when I found two or three records that really fit together perfectly and I was able to beat Mitch, I was always saying, mom, come up, I gotta show you something. <laughs> And she didn't understand what I was doing. So I told her, okay, I play this record now. And you tell me if you think when I start to blend in the next record. And at some point she couldn't tell me. At some point it was just the next record already. And she didn't take the transition. She didn't notice yeah. the transition. I was like, yes. Smash you know, it. That, that was how it all started, basically. That's amazing. So from the DJ inside of things, yeah. it then... So you were DJ first and then you wanted to become a producer from that or where was the transition to that? Um, the real transition to producing was when I was already living in, like, living in Vienna. I moved to Vienna after my A-level exam, after I graduated from high school to go to university in 2002. And I came from the countryside. Uh, I, was, I did my own parties there. I was DJing. What, there, what did you do? You, sorry to, to jump in. What did you do at yeah. university? Uh, musicology. Okay, cool. So all. And... Um, yeah, I tried to get the foot in the door somewhere in Vienna. And uh, the first job that I got was in a record, record store in Vienna. And that's how I got to know the scene. And, you know, I eventually got the kind of a resident um, spot at the club in Vienna called Flex every Monday night. And the place was called Dub Club. And they played all kinds of dub roots, reggae, grime, UK garage, new school breaks, drum and bass, jungle, actually everything other than house. And that kind of <laughs> shaped, my, shaped my taste. Yeah. And, you know, try to get an idea. And I had my first mentors here. Who, and then at some point I just found it, one, I found it boring to just play other people's music because there were many times where I heard a record and I liked the first half of it. Yeah. And then after the main break, it turned into something that I didn't think I could play out ever. Yeah. So I bought the record still and recorded it into uh, the, uh, the first uh, Cubase VST32 I had back then and tried to rearrange it uh in so that it made sense for me so it was kind of editing yeah that's how it basically started and then at some point you would eventually add a cappellas or you know make a mix a, a mashup of two records or you know that's how it basically started and from there it was then a very small step to actually um write your own first record which yeah. sounded horrible i still have it will never play to you ever <laughs> i have to hear that i i wish i still had my first record because i remember making it at college and it was awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, especially it's so frustrating. It's this constant valley of self-doubt. Yeah. You know, you have an idea in mind. You know, it sounds amazing in your head. Yeah. And you have the tools in Logic or in Cubase or in Ableton. You have the compressors. You have the EQs. You have you have everything. You just don't know how to use them to make yeah. it sound where you have it in your mind. And then, you know, that was probably around 2006, seven. And there was no future music magazine. There was no in the studio with videos. There was no tutorials. There was no 
people. I mean, nowadays, you just, if you don't know how, to, what parallel compression is, you just open up YouTube, you type in parallel compression, and there's like a bunch of, of videos yeah. uh, that explain to you what parallel compression is. And there wasn't the case back then. And and it was hard for me to find an established producer and say, hey, my name is Philip. I don't know shit about making music, but I want to be a producer. Can you please show me around? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and because they had better things to do. And I get that. But but yeah, it was a long path, but I'm. it was also a fun one. Like when, when, when did you get to the point where you were like, I can actually make something good? Like, was because for me, I'm just trying to think about this in my head and I... I can't think when the like transition went from making shit music to making okay music. <laughs> the thing is, I'm still in that transition. Yeah, I, I agree with you on, on there's me. So many, well. There's so many tunes out there where I think, okay, I could have done that easily. And then there's so many other tunes where I think like, how the fuck did they do that? So I'm still, I don't consider myself being like a super great producer and everything I do is just spot on. It's the exact opposite is the case, but what what's more important than that is to to understand that comparison doesn't make any sense ever uh, yeah and that there will always be somebody who's better better in terms of audio engineering mixing mastering um, chord progression songwriting whatsoever i think it's more important to know that you'll never be going to be the best in that sense but that's on the other hand not the reason why you do music i mean there's no comparison in creative artistic output you know yeah. what i mean if I write a song or if I produce a tune and I like it and it works on the dance floor, then I don't care if somebody, another fellow producer says he thinks it's shit. Yeah. And yeah. Sometimes, like, like I think if you trust your guts and if you trust your own musical taste, you will eventually find other people who share the same kind of taste and who like your music. And I'm sure for every record that you do or you are, that I do, we will find people who like it. Um, even though they might not know about know much about the production process and the struggle that comes with it, but we'll also find people who don't appreciate it. Yeah. And you no, know, it's not my it's not my um, position. It's not my job to question why does this person not like my tunes. Maybe it's a person who just doesn't like the tune. Maybe it's somebody who's jealous of what I do. And even though it's his favorite tune ever, and he's listening to it going to bed every night five times a row, he will never tell me. You yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you start trying to to get to a point to impress or to be liked by everybody, you're on the wrong path. It's very true, man. And it's it's a battle that I've battled with a lot of my career. I still do. I yeah. still do. How, what what first question, and we're gonna we're probably gonna spend a while on this one, but <laughs> who do you listen to and you're like Oh my god! I just can never like I, this music is just too good. Like I could never do it. <laughs> There's disclosure. Masioplex. Really, Masioplex is one for me. Like Masioplex. If I listen to like, I, you know, I have to start with with saying I'm not a big analog analog fan because yeah. it doesn't complement my working process. But uh, I know how Juno sounds like, how Jupiter Prophet. Yeah. I know the machines and how they sound like. But every time I hear a Monsieur Plex tune, I'm like, how did he do that? <laughs> Same. Or, or, or if you listen to one of his songs for the very first time, like the arrangement doesn't make sense. But yeah. then the second time, it makes so much sense. And even if you try to, to like, for, like when the lights are out, I think uh, the last, the last one tune. of my favorite songs. <laughs> song and i got goosebumps and when the song was done i needed to listen to it again and to try to recreate it in the sense of arrangement and stuff 
And I couldn't do it just because yeah. he has such a weird, but in a positive way, weird, complex understanding that if I would try to recreate it, it wouldn't make any sense at all. But the way he does, it's just so good. Yeah. You know? And then there's also uh, like one of my, like one of my, if you would ask me for what's the perfect tune, it's, uh, I would maybe say Disclosure and Sam Smith Omen, mm. because it has everything a proper tune needs yeah. and the chord progressions, the synths, how it's stacked, the way it sounds, the depth, the mix down. It's just incredible. Yeah. And sometimes I hear these songs or these artists and it inspires me to go in the studio and to do the like you know to take the song i did yesterday and to make a better version of it yeah and sometimes it's just frustrating and just shut down the community and say okay I'm like, fuck it let's have a beer and I, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so. yeah i get that totally because but then 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 again you're also what from what you said it's like that comparison is, a, is that it's that famous saying comparison is the thief of joy and you could have the best day in the studio and you could write something that you absolutely love and then you could go listen to a Maceo Plex record and then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> always, always listen, only listen to Maceo Plex if you're in a very good place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a couple of drinks and you just want to go a little crazy. Never listen to it the next day. Just... <laughs> for me, for me, John Hopkins is, is an artist that his music just, that there's, like with the Mace, with the Maceoplex stuff, I I get how he does it, but it just doesn't work in my brain on how to recreate something like that. Yeah, but, you know. Then again, sorry to interrupt you, but then again, the reason why John Hopkins is who he is, or MJ Cole, or Maceoplex, or even FX Twin is because they don't care. Yeah. I, I mean, if Maceoplex or John Hopkins or any of these guys would put out a record that he loves. And it's for a song that, for his understanding, is just a dope record. There's nobody in the world that could come up and say, I think this record is shit, and it would bother him. And this gives you so much freedom in creating if you're able to, to appreciate other people's opinions and to take it as kind of a criticism, yeah. but it doesn't change the way you, you approach your music because there's no ego and no, nothing attached to it. And that's what I look up to the most, you know. I would, I, I, even if I could, I would not want to sound like Monsieur Plex because there's already totally. Monsieur Plex out there. Yeah. And if I would send the song to his label and it would sound like when the lights are out, he would maybe appreciate, okay, this dude can make the same kind of music. But what's the point in yeah. copying my stuff and then sending it over, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. What's your thoughts on that, though? Because there's a lot of record labels that do just sound the same. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that's something that I really miss. I remember... Um, when I first started buying records, uh, at some point you could listen to a record without looking at it and you could tell it's a subliminal record yeah, yeah. or it's a defective or it's Asuli or it's, you know, Peppermint Jam or yeah. whatever house rec labels were relevant back then. But you could tell just by the sound. Nowadays, if you hear a techo song, and I don't want to call anybody's names out now because I don't want to put in a negative twist. Yeah, no, I get it. You hear you hear a techno song or even a techno song, and you don't know everything sounds like you know, this particular label or that particular hit record that just yeah. came out. Of, you know, and I mean, imagine if all these thirty thousand, forty thousand young producers, if they wouldn't all try to sound like somebody, but take the inspiration from their heroes and try to 
use it to sound just like themselves how much of a creativity yeah. outlet we would have how many how much like fantastic interpretations of styles and and zeitgeist we would have no i totally agree i i do 100 agree with that i guess the, the also the thing is is though is that the industry wants people to you can't i've spoke about this so many times and it's kind of like a broken record but it's like <laughs> to get popular you almost have to be part of these record labels that kind of give you the that have the brand and yeah. people want people want quick success rather than build their own sound and kind of take the time with building their own sound um i did it as well if you know what i mean like i i was part of dirty bird for god knows how many years and released a lot of music for dirty bird um mm. but i think i think that's why the industry gets like that because people i can only speak for myself but i just wanted a, i wanted success quicker and mm. the way for me to get success quicker was by creating a sound that fit with a record label right and a record label that actually had success and had events and had a had a following if you know what i mean because i didn't have no one gave a fuck about me so how do i get people to give a fuck about me and okay yeah. let's i i love dirt when i when i signed to dirt but i loved what they were putting out i would play everything they put out um and now i'm lucky enough that i don't have to just release on dirty bird and i can start my own record label but it's given me a platform it's given me the people to kind of allow that we were actually talking about this in london yeah. with, with alex and and kind of you were having this conversation right it wasn't like what you want to do is in your career and kind of how do you want to move forward and me and alex were like just do your own thing man like just yeah. do your own thing and you're like yeah but i don't know but it's like oh, there's something so liberating about i don't know if liberating is the right word but it sounds intelligent so i use it um <laughs> <laughs> but um i think it's like being able to do your own thing is just so fucking amazing yeah, but, you know, like jumping on this kind of bandwagon label kind of thing that you want to be like that you want to be involved with. Uh, I, I totally get that because when like I, when I started out, I always wanted to release a subliminal because yeah. Eric Marilla back then musically was a hero. Subliminal was like a brand and the music was like just everything that I loved. Yeah, I would buy a subliminal record without even listening to it yeah, back yeah. then in the 90s and early 2000s. And and the same nowadays, I mean, why do people want to be, you know, people see, I don't know, the Martinez brothers and the whole lifestyle and everything, and they want to be yeah. related with them and they want to hang out with them and DJ with them. So they try to sound like them in order to fit to them, you know, and I, I get that. And, and up to a certain point, it makes sense because you also like comparison is a good thing. I think if you, if you take like quality of sound yeah. as a comparison kind of thing, yeah. at some point you have to, um, evolve and you have to um, make your own thing and we talked specifically about Rebuke and his song Along Came Polly yeah. I mean this record sounds like no other yeah. you know the first time I heard it it was like it it, it is within the tech house kind of yeah. box but then it's not because yeah. it's psychedelic ayahuasca like yeah, then yeah. Lazarus 10 a.m. in the morning you know that kind of vibe but still it has the you know it's just an amazing record yeah. and and of course, this kind of record on a label like Hot Creations kickstarts your career like no other. But if you now try to make an Along Came Polly song 
to have it released on Hot Creations and to have Jamie Jones played out for half a year. It's not never going to happen. No, yeah. Because, because the the reason why you do art in the first place should always be the art itself. So yeah. if you start making music because you want to sound like nobody else, that's a good way to start things musically off. And that's a, like gives you a great opportunity to eventually sound different. And then you just have to find the right person who picks up on it. But um, it's, you know, that's, that's what I always hated about the EDM scene. Like I, 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 I didn't have a problem with electronic music blowing up that big and yeah. being, pop music and all of the radio and filling stadiums and the kind of stuff. But you would have the one record that's the big hit. And all of a sudden for half a year, everybody's, everything sounds the yeah. same, you know? So it's the same with underground music as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that as well. It's that <clears throat> it's, it's almost a gateway, right? So somebody yeah. makes a record and it, they do really, they do really well out of it. And, and then that record turns into a gateway of, what everyone thinks everyone else should sound like. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, Fisher's a good example. Fisher turned out the yeah. first losing it record, and all of a sudden you would have hundreds of sample packs and hundreds of songs with the same kick drum and the same kind of drop and the same kind of, you know, it's just... You still I mean, do. You still do. But, yeah, but there's already a Fisher guy out there. So why do you want... Why would you want to, to copy-paste the thing? Why, like, what's the intention other than making money, being famous, being on private, just hang out with celebrities back, you know, and that's not the reason why you should start make arts in the first place. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But I think a lot of, I think because of social media, that is the reason why a lot of people do start nowadays. Um, yeah, of course. And I think, I think if you, you fish out the, the, the good and the bad ones, like, well covid has fished out a good the good one the ones that actually want to do it and the ones that were just doing it for the for whatever they see on instagram um but i think i think it's it's so important to be yourself um, as hard as it is i like we both said we both struggle with it on a daily basis um but there's something to 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 understand the value in your own art is something that I think when you realize that as an artist or I did as especially like and it's for me it's literally only it's in the last eighteen months I've realized that um, since I decided to start my own label and kind of do all of that that was when I realized like no one can make a Will Clark record how Will Clark will make a Will Clark record right and it's like when I listen to your records, like I couldn't recreate that. And that's why I love playing your records because no one else is making records like you. Thank you. And I think, I think that's why, I don't know. I think that's why we started talking so much is mm -hmm. because like, I can only speak for myself, but I have this like mutual respect for people that, are just willing to do their own thing. Yeah, but it takes like at least for me, it took a long time to to get to that point. And like my daughter's birth actually marked the day where I recognized, okay, uh, I just I just want to be me. And if somebody doesn't like that, musically or personally or for whatever reason, yeah, that's okay. I don't like anybody everybody i don't like everybody's music as well yeah. so you know who am i to expect everybody to like me i'm i'm fine if you would ask everybody who knew me 
who met me, a part of them would say, Philip is a cool guy. And the other one would say, what a Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and the same goes for the music like yeah. there's, there, i'm sure there are a lot of people who like the tunes i put out and there's a lot of people who think it's rubbish and that's 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 okay too doesn't mean that i cannot go have a beer with you you know it's, it, i don't take it personal but it's to go to the studio and have a certain amount of freedom to create and not think about oh i like that but oh wait a minute if i put that in the record what will this person think you know so you have to get rid of and let go of these kind of feelings and to have to, tr you have to let go of trying to fit into a box. Um, because I remember to just like a side story. I remember like one of my favorite records of all times is Moby Go, oh. but particular because he sampled the chord progression from Twin Peaks, which yeah. is stuck in my head ever since I saw the first intro of Twin Peaks. And, but a couple of years ago, like, the, the movie record, it, it's it's amazing. It's a masterpiece and I would never dare to recreate or to like to remix it because it's just one of these, like you would frame it and you know, just leave it. It's perfect. But uh, I was playing around with um, with some synths and I came up with the same chord progression and but with a 16th uh, arpeggio chord arpeggio, which is putting like badass 808 beats underneath it and created this kind of record. And everybody I showed the record to was like, come on, it's like, it doesn't fit together. It's not this and it's not that. And it's not, it's not techno, but it's not house. It's not, yeah. and you know the record actually. Yeah. And uh, nobody really liked it. And then I said, okay, just for fun, I'm going to send it to a couple of people whose email addresses I'm happy to, lucky to have. And one of them was Adam Bayer. And a couple of weeks later, it was two years ago. And a couple of weeks later, I watched his Tomorrowland live stream. And all of a sudden he played that record. And, yeah. and I was like, you know, again, <laughs> against all odds basically if i would have listened to what everybody was telling me i would have just maybe deleted it or just it's like it's somewhere on the, on the hard disk and i would never ever think about it yeah but to see like a tastemaker a global superstar like adam bayer play this particular record who doesn't sound like no other um gave me the understanding that doesn't matter what other people think do what you do yeah do what you think is cool trust your own instincts trust your own taste and you will eventually find people who like it and, and i think motivation i totally agree i think what happens is when you start being yourself as an as as an art and let's talk about let's this is not just being an artist this is about being this is about being your in yourself as a human being accepting Absolutely. who you accepting who you are and what you do and kind of how you are how you hold yourself in public how you hold yourself around your family and your friends but I think when you truly can accept that or I, for me, when I can truly accept that, like that's when other people take notice. And I think for me, that was like, uh, when I started writing music that I decided not to care what other people actually gave a fuck about, whether it would fit on Dirty Bird, whether it would fit on, any other record label that I wanted to be on at that time, that was when the label bosses were hitting me up. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't yeah. even like, I didn't have to email them. I didn't have to slide into their DMs. They were, they were hitting me up, if you know what I mean. Like, right. I always, always wanted to be on Needed Pains, right? Needed Pains was like one of, one of my favorite labels when it first started. And Dent and Pico are still some of my favorite producers, if you know what I mean, yeah. like ever. Sure, for sure. And Alex was the one hitting me up, if you know what I mean. 
Adam yeah. was the one hitting me up to to release on on Trusol and I think that only came from me writing music that was Will Clark wasn't right. anybody else exactly absolutely and that's that's something that I and we spoke about it in London that's something that I really really um, appreciate and almost adore when it comes to Will Clark records because uh, like I said before, back in the days, if you would listen to a subliminal record, you could tell it's a subliminal record or a drum code or a primate record. If you just just from listening, and it's the same with with your records. I mean, if I hear a Will Clark record, the first five seconds into the intro drums, I know it's you. Thank you. And you know, and that's something. But then that's something that I struggle with the most because I have such a huge taste of of music, uh, like just staying with electronic music. I love vocal house. I yeah. love super jazzy stuff. I like, um, I even like like in your face drum code techno. And yeah. there's so many things that are, that are really liked. And it's hard for me to just pick one or choose one box that I want to be associated with. And that's the reason why I try to make this kind of hybrids like old school house acapella with that uh, uh, deep melodic techno kind of vibe but still with the badass drums and you know and then what comes out of it is a record that i love but i know there's no label ever who's going to release that because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't fit you know yeah. that's where that's where alex uh, came up with the idea of yeah you got to do your own label man then just you know and and like you said yeah that's you know if you want to put out your personal taste and you don't want to you don't want to like bend it just so it fits somewhere you have to go, you have to walk the talk, basically. I and totally agree, man. I think, I think you should just start your own label. I will. <laughs> I think you should because, yeah, you can just do what, do what you want. Right. It's like, and also you can release, I think there's a point, especially nowadays, is that you can release, like, with, with, it, it's not how it used to be, right? With vinyl, you have to wait like six months sometimes to get a record. You get, you get it signed. The record's not coming out for another year, maybe. And it's still that case when you sign to a record label is that they've, they've signed six months to a year in advance. So, and it, it takes a long time to work a record. I was actually having a conversation with Born Dirty the other day <coughs> and he won't mind, he won't mind me saying this. Um, won't go in too much detail but he was like struggling with he's got a lot of other project side projects and he's just finding that a lot of things are kind of like sliding into each other and turning into one project and i was like dude it's the the why the reason why you're having issues with 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 your project is that you're not releasing music and you mm. have a record label so release music you can release a music you can release a new track every week we all write so much music um and yeah don't get me wrong it's not gonna necessarily always hit every song but once you've got that in your head that every song is not going to turn into a hit you can release as much music as you want right eventually one of those records is going to do well out yeah. of but the law of averages is if if you put a hundred records out one of those is probably going to do well and probably make your career if right. you put 10 if you put 10 records out as long, they all have to be very good quality. They can't be shit, but you ha you just have more of a chance for a record doing well. Right. And then, but you know, then, then there, what, what comes in is why would you get frustrated if you put out 20 songs and there's not a hit record amongst them? 
it's maybe because your intention of making music is not like coming from the right place because if you put out music for the love of music and for sharing your personal taste and everything then it doesn't matter to you if it's a hit record or not it only matters to you if you want to be the next as super sun if you want to headline ultra next year only then it doesn't it really matters and i think i mean it's very two very ideological different points of view and i think the two yeah. is exactly right in the middle because i put out music because i love music and because i have a daughter and i want to be a role model and you know i want to kind of have my morals right yeah. but but i would live i would say i don't give a shit about commercial success i mean who wouldn't want to play yeah. tomorrowland or awakenings or whatsoever you know i mean everybody wants and i think the struggle is to get the balance between the two right so that you still have that goal that ultimate goal and you still want to go for it and you want to you want to chase it but without the pressure of this next record has to be it otherwise i'm going to turn 40 years old and then i'm too old and then it, this is you know and this becomes like a yeah. negative downward spiral and this 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 is what keeping what's keeping at least me sometimes away from from actually writing a good record you know i totally agree and i think for me it's it's about it, it goes back to what we've been talking about most of the podcast about kind of just it's that acceptance it's just that almost holding your hands up and being like i'm completely powerless out of this like i can do social media i can hope that spotify playlists my records i can hope some dj that's bigger than me is gonna kind of like the record and book me on their lineup i can hope a club promoter listens to the record i can i can do all of these things i can i can email everyone i can contact everyone i can tweet everyone i can do everything out of my way if i've done everything that i feel is first of all like morally okay to do and you're not hounding people and telling people etc etc once you've done that there's nothing else you can do Right. And what, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and go, yeah, we've just done everything we've done and the record's just not, it's just not, it's just not happening. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad record. That exactly. doesn't, that doesn't mean that the record's shit. It just means that now's your not time. Now, yeah. now is not your time. Yeah. And it, I, it's really strange we're talking about this because this week is, has been for me like one of those weeks where I've had conversations with my, with my management and with the guys that run my label. And I've, it's only like, we're talking about the MK record that I've just released and it's, it's not streaming as well as we want it to be streaming. Um, and that's no one's fault. Right. And there's nothing we can do about that. But yeah. for me, like the first, well, for especially the first two weeks, I was literally like depressed. I was like, the world is ending. Like <laughs> my song is not doing well and no one gives a fuck about it. It's M like, how can no one care about a, an MK record? Not, I didn't give a fuck about the Will Clark record, but the MK record, like et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, and then this week or last couple of weeks, it's just like, you know what? The record, the record's out there. People can go and listen if they want. It's never going away and it might come back. And also it's out there. Yeah. Don't need to worry about it. Exactly. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's also, I think if, 
if people go out on the weekends and they hear a record like your MK record, for the, like a DJ drops it just the right moment on the dance floor, they will go home with the record stuck in their head and they will stream it and show it to people. You know, I think the whole the whole behavior of people streaming and listening to record has changed due to the pandemic as well. Massively, so, massively. So, you know, I mean, I mean, imagine imagine the MK record coming out and during summertime, Ibiza and like all these festivals and you yeah. would, you know, like the, the the impact is completely different for the same, for the exactly same record. Yeah. And, uh, but, but, you know, I know that. And like I said before, sometimes I, if, if you talk about music theoretically, I, I, I catch myself to try to appear and come from a very ideological, like, you know, fuck success and fuck commercial music, just do it because of the arts. And obviously it's not, the case a hundred percent and um i've also had rec- like i have I've, I've had tunes that i've sent to just two or three labels and i was sure they're gonna go crazy to hear it <laughs> and of course they didn't go too excited about it <laughs> and you know and and now i can you know and you know like you sent a tune and you, you can see on your soundcloud okay they've been listening to it but they haven't been downloading it why okay maybe they listen from abroad maybe they're gonna download for sure when they come home and days later, no additional, n- nothing, you know, like I, I understand that feeling and it's demotivating, but you got to turn that neg- negative feeling into something positive to take it as an inspiration to do better. And, but like, like you said before, sometimes it's just out of your hands. I've, there's an artist that I've produced for and, and in the last couple of months, he had a couple of strong releases and, you know, but still it's frustrating with the pandemic and blah, blah, blah. And the last record that we've done didn't get signed to the label he wanted to. And I tried to explain to him, you know, um, I tried to make, I tried to make it very, very easy to understand. Uh, if you imagine the guy who's in charge at the record company to sign your song or not, like one day he gets up in the morning, the sun is shining, his wife is walking around the sleeping room naked and you know, it's all, everything's against, he's bringing a coffee and he gets up in the morning and he gets a new Spotify and he's in a good mood and then he gets into the car and listens to your record and he's like, fuck yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm gonna sign this guy. The same guy, another morning, the weather is shit. His wife didn't come home late last night and he gets up from bed and he's just hurting himself somewhere. And he listens to your record and he's like, fuck no, not today. Exact same record, but listened to from a person in charge from a, in a totally different point of view. And that's something you cannot control. It's the last very, it's just a bit of luck that just, you know, that it takes for a record to eventually or maybe go super crazy and you get you know it's there's always stuff you cannot control you just have to stick to the art and be true to yourself and have the right ambitions and just continue to write music i agree man i i totally i totally agree i think like a classic example the two records that we wrote together yeah back room and i can't remember the name of the other one (laughs) (laughs) that was a year ago (laughs) really yeah geez we need to release them um but I think it was Backroom that I didn't, I was like, I'm probably never going to play this. Like, it's yeah. not really for me. And I was doing my open to close tour and all of a sudden I just like random, I played it by accident because I was supposed to play the other one and I played <laughs> it by accident and it fucking slammed. And I was like, oh shit. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm that person. I'm in that different environment and playing the record and it works so well and i didn't think it would work but it yeah. worked and it is it is so we're we're in this 
world where we're relying on other people to like what we do to become or to confirm <clears throat> yeah that, to, that, you know to, yeah. Be, to become if if we want this to be our jobs we we need people to like what we do to yeah. then for that to turn into financial success at the end of the day and i think That's- i think realistically like the fact that Maceo Plex or Adam Player, Adam Bayer likes our music is probably not we pro- for me like it's not like oh my god I love the fact that they love that my music is the fact that maybe I'm thinking oh what could come from this yeah but you know there's this is also something that I had to learn um, if you start writing music if you start producing music there's two kind of audiences that you could eventually write music for. One of them is all the people you look up to, like in my case, Howard from Disclosure, Masio Plex, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the other audience. It's the people who will listen to the record, stream the record, go crazy on the dance floor when when the DJ plays it out. And I think they're both important from like artistically speaking, but if I I would have to choose between having a hundred million people going nuts and the weekends listening to my song, but therefore, like the people I look up to, they don't like it, yeah. or the other way around. I would always choose the hundred million people. Totally. Not not like not out of financial reasons, but aren't they the people that where we are also coming from? Like I'm also I'm coming from the dance floor, and yeah. you know that's kind of the the quality um, to write a record and to be in a club and the DJ plays the record and he doesn't even know that you are there and you see all these people go crazy. That's the feeling that's unbeatable. While if I just try to focus on making music to impress people that I look up to, I cannot buy me nothing from that. You know, yeah, it's no, a I nice agree. add-on. It's a nice add-on. If once one time a suplex slides into my DMs and tells me, hey, I've listened to your record, this and that, and I just got to say, I love it. Okay, that's amazing. That's great. And I would, you know, go crazy maybe because I'm such a big <laughs> but but you know but it's not that important artistically financially yeah um, from so many point of views and i think that a lot of people misunderstand it and they get frustrated because they want to have the people that they're looking up to have to complimenting them and yeah. it's not going to happen and like i said before there's so many reasons why it's not going to happen maybe on that particular day the guy you're looking up to has had a shit day and it just doesn't feel like saying you're good it just yeah. doesn't feel like it doesn't mean you're not good you know so no, I, I totally I totally agree and it goes back to that thing with that you said at the beginning is that you don't like everyone everyone's not gonna like you exactly and that's cool and you know you no know, there's days where even my wife doesn't like me so. <laughs> <laughs> so and then sometimes I play her a record and she's like I don't know and I was like what do you mean I don't know it's amazing you know so the it's just stuff you cannot control, stuff that's out of your control. And that's that's the reason why stuff you shouldn't be bothered about when trying to be a creative. Yeah, that's man. Just, it doesn't mean that I understand it myself all the time. There's points where I get frustrated and where I find myself in the valley of self-doubt. But that's what then you have friends for. And I think you now there's so many memes like like on social media with like wisdoms shit. Yeah. But there's a couple of them who are true and you have to surround yourself with people who are honest, who have the same ambitions, who have, who talk about goals and about how to get better and how to support themselves other than talking about gossip about other people. 
And if you find these people and if you surround yourself with these kind of people, if, you're in, if you find yourself in this value of self-doubt, you can always rely on, okay, I'm going to send this record to Will now because I feel like shit and he's going to let me know what he thinks about it. Yeah. And even if you don't like it, you will put it in a way that I understand it's constructive criticism and it makes me feel better immediately. Yeah. So it's kind of uh, like my mom always used to say, if you make it to a certain level, you're obligated to send the elevator back down. And that's like, you know. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, you've just had an EP come out. Yeah. Let's talk about this because I can't even pronounce the EP name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the thing is, um, the, the, the EP is called Jetzt, and Jetzt is a German word for now, basically. Ah, okay. And it, it came out because uh, on the title track, which is called Ich bin Jetzt, which literally means I am now, which doesn't make any sense at all. Okay. But I had this, this vocal sample. And I was playing around with it and reversing and doing this and that and blah. And all of a sudden, it sounded like the girl saying, Ich bin jetzt. And I like that. It's just so weird. And, you know, and I need to so pull it up. there's no particular interesting story about it. It's just It's that. a fucking amazing record. Thank you very much. It is Thanks. Absolutely amazing. The whole EP is four tracks. So Ich bin jetzt, Jack the Box, Jack Chicago, and you, you knows. The yeah. English there is great. I respect that a lot. But um, <laughs> 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 but there's something about your records that I don't know how you do it, but you have this like signature sound, especially in your drums and your bass line. Where, and it's like the swing in the, in, in the like, I don't know. It's just the whole groove that I just don't know. Any no one else does it. Like, what do you do? Um, like, first, first of all, I have to say, if I'm collaborating with people in my studio, out of ten people, eight would say, "I don't know what you're doing, but I cannot work like that. It doesn't make any sense." <laughs> And only two of them would say, maybe it's genius, but not because I'm a genius, because just, you know, like, I think, I think Bill Gates once said, he's giving the, the hardest task to the most lazy people because they will find the fastest way to solve the problem. And that's my approach when making music. If I, I have something in head, I want to, I want to sound it like this and that. And I don't try to go the, like the, that's how you do it kind of yeah. appropriate way. I just want to take a shortcut because I have so many things in my head that I have to get it done as fast as possible in order to not forget about what else I want to do with the record. Yeah. So when it comes for the swing, I mean, there's so many ways in, in Ableton to to um, import grooves to MIDI sections, for instance, and to um, add this typical MPC kind yeah. of swing stuff. But I would rather just put the snare not on the grid and then play around with the, the track delay just so it fits. So besides the kick drum in none of my records anything is ever on grid never this is where we're completely the opposite because i'm just so on the grid everything <laughs> for me it annoys me the fact not because it doesn't sound right because my ocd the it has to be on the line if it's off the line it just messes my ocd <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah and then and then you have uh, what i love about ableton 10 is that you have you can you can make groups and then put two groups into another group and then another group and you know it's just try to make bus buses yeah. basically and then i just have like i don't know hi-hat all the hi-hats like for high tracks and first of all they're not all in grid and then i just play around with the track delay so that it's kind of a and yeah. sometimes it gets a little too weird but then i just add a, like a super overdone kind of side change just to force it to you know to duck at this particular yeah. you know and it's just and at some point uh it's just, there's a guy actually who, who really inspired me. 
years ago, he, he went uh, by the name Switch. Legend, Dave. And there's this, like a lot of Switch remixes. And that's how, like, the swing that he had was always insane and crazy. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. you know, and... But I, I love that. Maybe a little too much for me personally, but that's that's yeah. No, that was still stuck in my head. Yeah, that's one for me, Joe Goddard. Um, I was listening to some of his stuff yesterday, actually, and just like this guy doesn't know what quantization is at all, but <laughs> it it just fits and it just feels it feels real. I think that's the thing. It's like there's music that needs to be down the line and straight, right? And then there's music that has like soul and like it's like there's electronic artists or like house techno artists that write they're like write an album and then they do a like down tempo record and everything will still be like on the grid and that's it doesn't feel right because that's right. that's not yeah. how a human plays the drums if you know what i mean it's it's still like this is just too straight and there's no soul to it yeah. Um, which you can get away with in house music. But I think when you have producers that produce hip hop and diff- like electronica and things like that, and a c- classic example for me is Burial. Burial yeah. just... I was just about to say Burial, the first album, Untrue. I mean, imagine everything being quantized and in grid. Exactly. It wouldn't, wouldn't sound the same. No, you and wouldn't want to listen to it. Canada. I mean, Ketronada, it's yeah. his signature thing that the second and the first kick drum always came in a little too early, a little yeah. too late. It doesn't fit, but then it's like, yeah. but, but it, it, yeah, it's so well done that it just feels right. I mean, if I had to imagine every burial record or every Ketronada record, everything being quantized and in grid and just, you know, super slick and, you know, yeah. then it would just, wouldn't feel right. Yeah, man, it's, it's strange. It's strange. Um <laughs> So you've let's talk about records for you. Um, you've released on Needed Pains a lot. Yeah. What uh, was what was what what was the the attraction to Needed Pains? Because, like I said, like I said before, most of the times when I write music, uh, at the end of the day, I love the tune or the tunes that I've done, and then I'm thinking about, okay, who am I gonna send this to? And then I go through my list of labels that I like, and it's like, uh, uh, no, to no, no, for sure not. <laughs> yeah. And and there's only a handful of labels that I always love because of the versatility and because of the not giving a fuck attitude towards the music. And one of them was always Needed Pains because if you take a look at the Needed Pains compilations, there would be like Will Clark's Listen Linda, which has a yeah. very house approach, followed by a badass in your face 135 bpm acid techno kind of tune you know like i always had the feeling that whoever picks whoever a and r's needed pains uh doesn't give a shit about boxes or about styles or how something has to sound in order to be whatever it needs to be yeah but if it feels right it's good yeah and if you take a listen on on all the tunes that i've released on needed pains nothing no tune sounds like the other and that artistic freedom is the reason why I would consider Needed Pains be my home label. That's why also the collaboration and the working with Alex from Dance and Pico works so well because, you know, like he would rather tell me, no, we don't do this record because it sounds too much like this and then. Yeah. Uh, but he would never tell, say, 
no, we don't release it because it's too unique. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's something that I always felt about needed paints. And that's also the reason why I've stuck with needed paints. I would always release needed paints before any other label that would make sense strategically. Strategically. Yeah. It's the first time I've ever actually had to tell somebody how to speak, how to say a word in English. Like. <laughs> <laughs> strategically. Strate- <laughs> the name of the next EP <laughs> <laughs> so yeah th- that was why why I needed paints it took me some time to have a couple of records ready that I thought would be suitable for needed paints but once I've sent it it was like four weeks later when Alex got back to me I didn't even I, I already forgot about it I yeah. was just like not for them and that's how it all started and now needed paints is, is for sure one of my favorite labels ever 100% especially for me like at this moment in time and it brought us together too. It did. So. It brought us together. And I think it's brought a lot of people together. Um, sure. Because I think a lot of people in the industry look at that label as something that's just a really good techno label. Right. It's not it's not the same. It's not it's not boring. It's not like right. once you've heard one record, you've heard all of them. Like every release they do, it's like, oh, what's next? Right. And you know, and they have from Charlotte David and eats everything to Maya Jane calls to, to people I've never ever heard about and yeah. yet fits the roster so good and so well done and it's kind of a platform also for young aspiring producers like I am to, to just show the world okay this is what I sound like this is what I do and because there's a need to paint stamp on it people will take it for, for full and for um, for um... okay wait <laughs> one word. Credible. That okay. Word. Yeah. <laughs> Just heard your brain ticking then. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that's what I love so much about it. And it's like like you said, it doesn't follow a trend. It doesn't follow um, like mathematically. This is how it's got to sound like. And you know, it, it's not a business. It's more the original techno vibe. Yeah. Still swings with it. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But, but it makes a standout kind of a label. Yeah, I want well to... done, Alex. Yeah, well done, Alex and Nick and, and Chris. <laughs> um, it's weird because Nick Nick manages my label as well. I know, I he know. Does, he does I like know. parts of it, which is great. So, are you talking to him about doing a label yet? Not yet. I still have to like, you know, like after we met in London, after after we were talking about yeah. it for the first time, my wife was like, "Do it." I mean, it solves all of your problems <laughs> because. Yeah. You don't have to send tunes out. You can release your own music. You have so many people who would support you, like you, like Alex, yeah. you know. And and it's the more I think about it, the more I I need to come up with a name first. And I think once I have the name, then you know, it's kind of a then it's it's getting real, you know what I mean? So it has to the baby has to have a name in order to get real. And but I think that I yeah, I need to do it. I think I need to do it. Only if you sign a Will Clark record. That's that's the what? only rules. But the first, the first record has to have a Will Clark remix. <laughs> of course, <laughs> always, man. I got you. <laughs> I want to. I want to talk about. I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I want to talk about. Um, like, I'm a massive foodie, as as you probably know, and I know you have your own restaurant. Um, how how did that come about? Um, so I don't have my own restaurant, as in um, owning it. But two friends of mine used to, um, they started a restaurant, the first one, eight years ago. Yeah. It's a very, little bit outside of Vienna. It's a very, little bit bourgeois, but I don't want to put it too much in a, in a negative like yeah. meaning. 
but it's you know average age like over 40 45 something like that and it's very nice like chic and you know yeah and a couple of years ago they approached me and said philip listen we have a we have the opportunity to make a restaurant in the middle of the city but we want to make it hip but still with a certain quality in um when it comes to the food but with a moderate price policy and we want to have the business guy feel as comfortable having his truffle like whatever yeah and uh, sitting next to the graffiti guy from just yeah. you know from just having his like typical austrian kaiserspätzle with a beer or something yeah, yeah. and uh they approached me in in a creative sense okay more than a culinary or like yeah, a strong yeah. sense. Yeah. That, that's how we found found together and um that's how it came about so what was the process in that? Uh, I can't really tell because it was the first time I was was working on and helping like establishing, creating a restaurant. I would never have thought, I, I would never have pictured myself yeah. being in astronomy other than being a DJ or a yeah, musician. Yeah, yeah. So it was very interesting because um, the two, the two, my two friends who run the restaurant, they're very professional when it comes about to it. They know very much and I've learned very much just hanging out with them, speaking about stuff that's not really my resort yeah. in, in the first place, but just getting to understand the whole thing, like in a 360 degree kind of thing. And it was, it was just, it was fun. It was exhausting. And it's also exhausting to be around alcohol all the time. <laughs> and after some time, you know all the people and you're DJing and then you get to talk to all the regular customers and have a drink here and a drink there. And all of a sudden you forget, oh, I'm here for the DJing actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'm here to take care of this and that. And so it's a, it's very self-centering in a sense. And uh, But it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. For sure. How important do you think it is to have <clears throat> something outside of music? or outside of trying to make music your career? I think it depends. It, it really depends on where you stand in life. Like for me, um, I'm a married man. My wife and I, we have a beautiful daughter. She's six and a half years old. So I I have to make sure that she's taken care of yeah. at any any part of the day, any time of the year. Yeah. Even, even I have to make sure that even something happens to me and I'm unable to work or make money for half a year that there's enough money on the account so that there's no struggle there. Yeah. Besides the fact that my wife's also there, of course, but, you know, yeah. just from yeah, my yeah, very yeah. macho-esque kind of, yeah. kind of approach. But uh, that definitely changes the perception, definitely changes also the, the like how you approach all things creative. Yeah. Before I met my wife, before she got pregnant, like it was just living. I don't know if you can put it that way in English, but it was living from the hand in the mouth. Yeah, I got yeah. the money, yeah. and the money. Same. And some months I would have twenty grand. I took it and I spent it, and yeah. there was nothing left in the end of the month. And some months I just had one grand. It was cool too. Yeah. So you know. So I think it's it's good to know that you don't have to rely a hundred percent on the commercial success of your art. Yeah. But on the other hand, it also uh, the pressure is also something good sometimes. Yeah. So it's, I try not to be at the restaurant for too much time, but still enough time as a kind of a place to breathe and not think about the arts, you know, and if you, yeah. you know, try to juggle that and I think it works very well. Yeah. That's amazing. Man. I, I totally agree with you. Um, and on, I think we should end on that. Cause that was a, it was a nice, nice way to end. Plus um, I'm hungry now. <laughs> yeah, dude, same. I've got to bake some bread as well. And, uh, it takes me all fucking day to bake some sourdough. It's, it's a nightmare. Yeah, I'm just going to go and buy it and <laughs> put some stuff on it. <laughs> that would be easier. Um, 
So if anyone that's listening who doesn't follow you, how can they follow you on social it, media? It's very easy. It's always Dubesk. It's D-U-B-E-S-Q-U-U-E. Wait, hold on a second. Let me check. <laughs> I need to check. No, it's D-U-B-E-S-Q-U-E. Dubesk. Like, yeah. yeah. And it's Instagram slash Dubesk. It's fake. But, you know, the thing is, there's so much social media. So best way to follow me and to get in touch is via Instagram because it's so easy. It's so overseeable. And uh, if you want to drop me a line and let me know how you like my music, send me a line. Just text me. If you want me to check out your music, text me. And, you know, like I said, sharing is caring. And uh, I'm happy to to put my unasked opinion out there at any time of the day. Yes, man. Right. Stay on, but I'm going to end this interview. So big love. Thank you, man. And I big catch love, you soon. Thank you. Thanks Keep for having safe. me, man. Love you, dude. Take care. Bye. Yeah, Yo, that is a wrap. I loved it. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please hit us up in the reviews below and tell all your mates um i love you forever and keep safe see you next time the headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place the elites in charge say everything's fine stop noticing but you know better and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos my Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com